Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball, all basketball, all the time. We're talking NBA with you, and we're going to talk some recruiting with you. The July evaluation period is on us. So, of course, we're going to reach out to Vegas where everything goes down in terms of the last weekend in July eval. The date of this recording is Thursday, July 26th on Wednesday, July 25th. There was an outs. There was a huge like the AAU game of the year, if you will. It was the Compton Magic versus Team Takeover. Team Takeover, of course. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at TTO Basketball. Uh, we'll get some insight into their roster as well into the Compton Magic. They're at Compton underscore Magic. Big game at Bishop Gorman. Compton Magic win by two points. Full house, packed house for the uh, Las Vegas Fab Forty Eight which, of course, uh, my guy Dinos Tragonis puts on every year. And um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with July recruiting. There's a lot of July recruiting guys that are gloom and doom, thinking the NCAA is going to just, uh, like lemmings, follow the recommendation of 
Condoleezza Rice and the rest of her committee members. Um, I'm not so sure, and as I've stated on previous podcasts, there have been all sorts of different incarnations of what the summer looks like, and almost without fail, the shoe companies survive. The players who have um, who have been evaluated in different venues for years will still be evaluated, and most of the same people, at least the good ones, the ones that have earned the respect of the AAU and the basketball community, will still stay around the sport. How it actually plays out, I don't know yet. But before you say gloom and doom and make fun of the fact that Condoleezza Rice has never stepped inside an AAU gymnasium, let alone a big-time AAU game, I'm, I'm with you. But let's not go gloom and doom until the actual rule comes out and then to see how it actually plays. Because the, the genius to so many of these AAU guys, so many of these people that put, put on events is they find a way to succeed even when the rules are against them. Like, they're not... They'll, they'll find a way. There will be games. They will have the best players. And the question becomes, can they make it more centralized? Can there be continued coaching? You know, it's, it's interesting as we come off of the World Cup and how many great basketball players we produce as a country and how few great soccer players we produce as a company. Yes, the AAU system can run amok. And look, do I think that all guys belong in college? Probably not. But the fact is that however screwed up our system of raising young stars in basketball is, it does seem to work. Now, it's helped by the fact that, and I've stated this on a radio show, which you can hear daily, 3 to 6 Eastern time, called 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, and on our Sirius XM Channel 83. Um, part of it is helped out by the best athletes still play football and, bas- football and basketball in high schools and in growing up. It's still cooler than playing soccer. So I'm not blind to the fact that you have a better caliber of athlete. You start with that as the premise. And, you know, a lot of kids now have dads or moms or dads and moms that both played. So there's a tremendous amount of sports basketball IQ within the household. You know, you're, you're not playing with the same hand of cards that everybody else is playing with. Understand that. But the amount of creativity, the amount of games, uh, the, uh, the level of competition, the diversity of competition is so great that we continue to pump out far and away the greatest percentage of the best basketball players on earth. And this is not to diminish the Argentines who have made a not, who have made a name for themselves in the NBA. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki as a German, um, so many of the Yugoslavians, the Serbians, you 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 know you name it. There have been players from all over the world. Brazilians have made it, the Spaniards, of course. But the truth is that the reason our younger teams are dominating is one, the leadership of USA basketball, and two. We do have the best and most diverse group of athletes out there. And three, frankly, this screwy system to which players bounce from team to team, shoe companies always kind of seem to have um, something in the game, and all these vivid personalities who may or may not be funneling money from somewhere reputable or somewhere of ill repute to some of these players, to some of their families to take care of these kids before they get to college, before they become professional. However screwy it is, it does have a tendency to work. It does. Uh, 
All right, let's talk about the news of the day with the NBA. Two things. One, Kawhi not playing for USA Basketball. And two, Kevin Durant getting into it with C.J. McCollum on Twitter after sitting down with C.J. McCollum and appearing on his podcast. And it's interesting because you can have, if you listen to the podcast, I, I think it speaks really well to Kevin Durant. There's a lack of, there, there's nothing for him to be defensive about. But he definitely wasn't, he wasn't defensive in it. Now, what CJ, I think, did, which I, I don't like that people in the media have a tendency to do. And I think he understands that now when you host a podcast, it becomes far different than when you're just on Twitter or when you appear as somebody else's guest. On the podcast, he never mentioned that the word soft. He never mentioned the word soft in regards to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant appears in the podcast. He didn't turn to him, at least the part I heard. He never said, hey, that decision you made to join the Golden State Warriors was soft. And then in subsequently on Twitter, he did use the soft word. And he also contradicted himself saying, you know, he, he didn't have a problem with it, but it was soft. It was a soft decision. And so, look, there's a, a lot of – and then there's analogy missed in terms of using a – when you're not a gang guy, I don't know why you use a gang analogy. I understand the, hey, you got beat up by guys, and so instead of, you know, showing some grittiness and toughness and learning how to fight and fighting your way out of it, I, I got the reference. Kevin Durant, I thought, took the reference a different way, took the, the parallel a different way. But I look at this, and I, I'm just kind of blown away. Uh, by a couple things. One, I think Sage McCollum, who has great intentions at heart, has now learned a, a really hard kind of conundrum that many people in this business face, which is if you rip a guy when he's not on your show, are you willing to be at least mildly combative when he is? And I'm not going to point out other radio hosts who com but a lot of them do. They completely lay down. They'll kill a guy. And then that same guy will come on and be on their show, and one, while they're on, and then two, I think the worst part is after they've been on because now they feel like they're a friend, they won't ever say anything bad about them, even when they deserve. Like, my whole thing is you'll hear people appear on this. You'll hear people appear on my radio show when I fill in for other people's radio show. And you can say I'm coming at them, but I just think it's unfair to say, like, hey, this this guy's decision was soft. Then you have that guy on. Then you have Kevin Durant on and not state your opinion as it being soft and why you think it's soft and allowing him during that time to dispute that. Now, now what CJ did, that's he's not the only one. And it's really, really hard, especially when he's just learning in this business He's just starting out. The podcast is called the Pull Up Podcast, right? Pull up, jump shot, get it, pull up. But, like, look, if you're going to go on to Twitter and call Kevin Durant's decision to join the Golden State Warriors soft, you got to say the same thing to Kevin Durant when he's in person. The amazing part about KD joining the Golden State Warriors that no one outside of me has mentioned on national radio is that it wasn't just that KD needed the Warriors to win a championship. The Warriors needed Kevin Durant. We all point to 73 wins, right? That's the big thing. Well, he was on a 73-win team. 
That 73-win team did not win a championship, and that 73-win team probably should have lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That team was not as good as their record would tell you. It just wasn't. Case in point, they also were the first team to ever lose a three games to one lead in the NBA Finals. It's just like on that same podcast, the Portland Trailblazers were 49-33. and They were the number three seed. The number three seed in the NBA playoffs, and KD said y'all played like an eighth seed. That's because their record was not indicative of just how good they were. Damian Lillard played above his level the second half of the year. He had an incredible year. And half the teams in the West were tanking. You combine that with so many of the injuries, you know, Andre Robertson getting hurt, uh, the trade, the Jazz went through kind of midseason. You know, we, we have a tendency to, you know, the trade the Clippers went through and they trade away Blake Griffin. The Lakers, when did you play the Lakers? Did you play the Lakers when they had their older players, when they had Isaiah Thomas, or when they went young late in the season they were trying to win games? You know? So, like, look, I, I, your regular season record, and I understand 73 wins had never been done before. Your regular season record, though, has never been indicative of whether or not you're a championship team. Case in point, Eastern Conference, who had the best record, 59 wins, the Toronto Raptors. They weren't the favorites to get to the NBA Finals. Neither were the Boston Celtics. With 55 wins. Or the Philadelphia 76ers with 52 wins. So the first thing that we have to start with in talking about Kevin Durant is the Warriors needed him. They were not a perfect team. They did win 73 games. But that's because they were a 60, 65 win team that, that went for it. They went for the jugular. They went for every last win when other teams had decided to shut it down. You sub out Harrison Barnes and most of their bench. You lost Andrew Bogut as well, and you end up adding Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant needed the Warriors, needed the space to show just how good a player he was. But the Warriors needed Kevin Durant equally. Otherwise, I'm not sure they win another championship. You can dispute that all you want, but you I would think Harrison Barnes would get better because he's so early in his career. But if you re-sign Harrison Barnes, are you absolutely going to win the last two championships? Two years ago, you're absolutely going to win the championship. Like, I, I don't know that the answer is yes against Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, LeBron James, and that Cavs team that they had lost to the previous year. I would have liked to have seen it. Now, was Kevin Durant's decision soft? You know, I, I everybody likes to claim, this is like how everyone likes to claim that they grew up super poor. No one's ever grown up and said, like, no, nah, I really grew up comfortable. You you talk about how you grew up to somebody else, and it seems that every person on earth grew up barefoot, butt naked, walking to school in a foot of snow, walking home from school. It was uphill both ways, right? No one ever grew up with money. That's like the same thing with the NBA. It's always got to be the toughest road. If you have a problem with what Kevin Durant did, that's fine, but you also should have a problem with what LeBron James did. Right? When he left and he went to Miami— that was Dwayne Wade, and they added Chris Bosh. And oh, yeah, by the way, then later on they added Ray Allen. Like He joined a stacked team. Why wouldn't you join a stacked team? And it'll be fascinating to see how we react to LeBron this year with a team that's the opposite of stacked, a team that has a bunch of young pieces and kind of the Isle of Misfit toys on the bench. So I don't think it was about being soft or being tough. I think it's fake toughness to sit there and bash your head in. I, I honestly think he was ready for something new. I've said this all along. And he was also ready for space. Space 
so that you couldn't double-team him so he could show that he was the best one-on-one scorer in the league, that he had an unstoppable weapon, and that's his pull-up jump shot. And you know what? The last two NBA Finals, he's proven to be right. All right, last night in Las Vegas was uh, the AAU game, really, of the year. The champions of the Adidas Gauntlet Series and the champions of the EYBL, it's the Nike Series, met up. And Evan Daniels, he has his own podcast. It's really good. You can download it. We'll tweet it out. Uh, Fox Sports does it. Of course, Evan Daniels called the Sidelines. Evan Daniels joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Um, look, every year there is one of these Titanic matchups. They used to be, back in my day, they used to be for the championship of a tournament. That's not the way it works. Uh, what was the level of intensity for this game as opposed to ones that actually decide tournament championships? Uh, honestly, Doug, I, I thought it was one of the better played uh, AAU or high school games that I've seen uh, in, in really a long time. It was uh, it was at Bishop Gorman, and it, it was pretty much nearly sold out. Um, and so there was a good crowd, but, but there, the intensity between the two was uh, was pretty high level. And, and Doug, we're talking about two um, programs that won a ton this year. You know, at, uh, Compton Magic won both Adidas July tournaments. Uh, team takeover went undefeated in the EYBL and then won the Nike Peach Jam. Uh, so it's uh, – it was um, it was a pretty competitive affair. You know, I, I think I thought here's the thing that I thought best. Last year was Zion Williamson against uh, against Lonzo Ball, right? That was the that was the big matchup. But but part of it was the circus of the balls, whereas this was just about ball meaning basketball, right? This was just about two really good AU teams made up of players that are going to play play college basketball. Some guys are risers. Some guys have always been rated highly more so than being about the circus. This one was more about basketball. Is that is that fair? No. No question. And if you looked in the stands, that was pretty evident by uh, the college coaches that were there. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people that that were really impressed uh, with the way that game went and the coaching in that game and the players. I mean, this was there. There was dudes on each team. I mean, the team takeover in Compton Magic, all those guys are going to play at the least mid-major basketball. And um, the the coaching was really good. It It was a high level game. And I walked away really impressed with uh, the Compton Magic big man. Uh, the Compton Magic ends, ends up winning by a couple in overtime, but their post players really uh, were the difference, I think. And then, you know, Jared Lucas, he just committed to play for my brother and, and their staff at, at Oregon State. Uh, Johnny uh, Juzang's a really, really good shooter. Um, so who who helped themselves the most? You mentioned Nkongu, of course, who's been a, been a riser. The Mobleys, of course, that's why SC hired their dad. Like, they've been well-regarded. Is there any – who else on that team benefited the most – from this game and from their performance? Um, that, that's tough because most of those guys were already pretty highly touted. I, I walked away impressed with Johnny Juzang. Uh, I, I think over the last year uh, he shirt up his shot selection and he's become a more efficient player. Uh, I noticed the start of that at uh, the U-17 trials uh, in mid-June, and I thought in this game um, he took good shots. He made – a uh, number of three-pointers. He hit a couple mid-range pull-ups. Uh, I thought he was one of the difference makers in it and just his scoring and, and shooting ability. Uh, the other side, I mean, T. Taker had some guys that played really well. Justin Moore, he yep. committed to, to Villanova, was really good as well. Uh, Jeremy Roach, I think, was the most impressive player for TakeOver. He's a 2020 point guard, actually the number one point guard in that class. Um, so both sides had some guys that certainly helped their stock. Yeah, you mentioned um... – 
You mentioned Justin Moore, who's set to go to Villanova. That's where he's committed to. Villanova is interesting. You cover the Big East and part of the the Big East show on Fox Sports One. As uh, they've done an unbelievable job winning two or three national championships, and we've seen you know, Josh Hart winning the Summer League MVP. How well regarded they are. All four of those guys go in the first round of the NBA draft. But there, there's a lot of turnover there. Um, I know they're recruiting at a little bit higher level. This is it's kind of interesting. Like, how do they maintain their culture with so many new faces? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be um, that's going to be a big factor. But I, I think obviously uh, what we've seen from Jay Wright over the last couple of years, I think he's uh, he's certainly uh, fit to handle that. They're bringing in a, a really good class in 2018. In 2019, they've got uh, a top. 50, two top 70 type guys, Justin Moore and, and Eric Dickerson, Eric Dixon. Uh, but that 2018 Hall is, is really good. Javon Quinterly, a five-star guy, is so crafty and creative. I think he comes right in, and, and you're not going to be able to replace Jalen Brunson. Uh, but I, I think he fits how Villanova wants to play. He's got such a good feel for the game. He can set guys up. I, I think he'll come in and, and make a, an instant uh, impact. And, and guys like Brandon Slater and Cole Swider will help them out on the um, the perimeter Slater's a, a big-time scorer at 6'6". He's got long arms. Uh, he can make shots. He's athletic. I mean, they're, they're obviously lost a lot, and most of those guys you're not going to be able to replace, Doug, as you know. Uh, but they're bringing in a, a good recruiting class with solid players um, that really fit Villanova. All right, let, let's go through a couple of the, the 2019s. Okay, those are rising seniors. Is Cole Anthony the best player in that class? No, I, I think James Wiseman's the best. Well, could be the best player i think james wiseman is the best prospect uh and and when you go at our uh, to our rankings that's what we're uh and, and by and wait, wait, evan, evan real quick evan by by prospect you mean nba prospect or college because 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 it's very interesting yeah more so than more yeah, so than, I, I think he's i think he's the best long-term prospect i mean he's pushing seven feet he's got a seven six wingspan he's mobile uh, he impacts the game on both ends of the court uh, he's de- really developing his offensive skill set. Unfortunately, he's been a- banged up, and it- he would have been on that U17 team that won a gold medal, uh, but he got hurt, and he's really played July, kind of kind of banged up as well. But I- don't get me wrong, I, I think Cole Anthony's great. Uh, we have number two, um, six three, explosive athlete, uh, as competitive as you'll you'll find. I mean, this kid gets after it on both ends of the court as well. Uh, I-, I think he's more of a combo. Uh, than he is an actual point right now. His mentality is always to score. Right. Uh, so if I had a knock on him, it would be, you know, go create for others. And and, and him as well, he, he needs to sure up his shot selection a little um, as well. But he's obviously very, very gifted, uh, very talented, uh, can really score, uh, and he's a high-level athlete. Am I crazy to think uh, Jaden uh, McDaniels, another another top five guy, you know, he's he's from Washington. That's the kind of guy that Mike Hopkins – has to get right. The whole thing in Seattle is if you keep the Seattle kids home and Seattle's up, now you got a chance to win the league. Now you got a chance to build something special. Hop did a really good job in his first year, especially considering the turnover within the program. But doesn't McDaniel's become one of those guys that he almost has to get? Yeah, Jaden McDaniel's is a priority recruit for sure. Um, I think it's a tough task, uh, not only because he's the uh, uh, you know elite recruit that I think blue bloods are starting to sniff around with. There's a relationship with San Diego State that goes way back uh, with his brother being there. But you're right. I mean, uh, Mike Hopkins and his staff have to prioritize him. They, you know, he's the type of guy that could really help them shift that program uh, quickly. And he's 
Man, he's, we were talking about best players in the class. I mean, this kid, uh, three, four years from now, we're going to be looking back, and uh, it's special because he's 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 made a major leap uh, from where he was this time last year uh, to now, and his skill set is continuing to develop. He's becoming more confident. He's shooting the ball better. He's just making improvements across the board. Ty, uh, feels like Tyrese Maxey is taking his game to a higher level this summer. Uh, whether it's with Team USA or playing AAU basketball, and he feels like he's th- that's the type of guy that Kentucky builds an entire recruiting class around. No, because because of his style of play. Uh, he certainly fits that. Yes, um, I think that what I like about Tyrese is he's versatile. You can play him as a two guard. You can play him in a combo role. You can put the ball in his hands, and he can go create for others. I mean, his biggest strength is his ability to score. He does that. Uh, really well. He can get to the rim and take contact and finish. He can create uh, shots for himself, pull up from mid-range. He can make off-the-catch threes. I I think that's an area he could still improve, but uh, he's just wired up to get buckets. Uh, Nico Mannion's a kid who he could have been 2020. Instead, he announced, I think, last week that he's going to graduate this year. Uh, A talented point guard from, you know, Pinnacle in uh, in Arizona. There's lots of talk that he could be the guy that Sean Miller, kind of, as he tries to rebuild his program, rebuilds a guy like Nico Mannion. W- what's your sense? I know it's it's still really early in these things now, especially with the elite recruits. A lot of these guys are deciding late. What's your sense on Nico Mannion? Uh, I, I know why he moved up uh, his date of graduation. He graduated 18 instead of 19, and it's not going to hurt him in any way. Um, but is this is this to go to Arizona or something else at play? I think there's a good chance he could go there. I mean, I, I think it's them and Duke. Uh, Villanova's also in the mix, and Jay Wright uh, was out in L.A. last Sunday to see him. Um, but Arizona's done a really good job for a long time recruiting him. They've made him a priority. I don't know that Sean Miller's missed uh, many of his games. He was at the same event L.A. on Sunday. Um, I, they, they've just been after him for so long. Uh, I think it would be pretty deflating uh, for Sean Miller and his staff if they missed out on him. Because uh, I think they have been the favorite. Uh, but anytime Duke comes uh, sniffing around and, and, and jumping in the recruitment, uh, it's dangerous. Is so it, they, they've still got to close it out. Okay, so let me ask you. Okay, so there's Cole Anthony, and I know that, that his dad obviously is close with Coach K. There's talk of Cole Anthony and Duke. Um, can they? Would they both go there? And then I guess the second part to that is, uh, look, J- Jeff Capel did a great job of spearheading a lot of their recruiting. I know Coach K is still there. They have a really young, active, quality staff, but it's different when Capel's not there. First, your sense of could Mannion and Anthony both go to Duke, and then has Duke's recruiting, will it change at all without Jeff Capel? Well, here's the thing. It, Cole Anthony has made it clear that he's not making his college choice for a long time. Doug, this is the worst point guard class I think I've ever evaluated. It might be the worst overall class I've ever evaluated, but point guards especially, it's bad. So you can't afford to wait around for Cole till May. You've got to go out and get a get one of these big-time guys, um, and if maybe you can you know, talk him into playing with, with the other guy you get, great. But uh, I, I just think that you can't really wait around. Um, so I, I think Duke's going to or has – started to prioritize Nico Mannion. Would they love to have Cole Anthony? I think they definitely would love to have Cole Anthony. Would those two coexist in the same backcourt? I don't know the answer to that. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting scenario to see how it all plays out. And obviously, you mentioned Jeff Capel. Anytime you lose a guy of that caliber, uh, that was so good at building relationships and um, brought a lot of, uh, of really good recruits to the table. I, I think it's, uh, it's a loss. Obviously, Chris Carwell was, was hired in his place. And, you know, it, it, Nate James was the guy that went out and got Zion Williamson last year. Uh, John Shire is, has been the point man on a guy like Jason Tatum. So it's not like these other guys haven't gotten players. Um, but like I said, anytime you lose somebody a caliber of, of Jeff Capel, it hurts. I know you want to go back, duck back into the gym. Let me ask you really quickly. Zion Williamson's like a YouTube sensation, right? A dunking machine. Yep. But he's a little bit heavy. Um, I mean, I think I think at his best he'll be a he's got a chance to be an undersized uh, kind of athletic four, but you really got to shoot and guard in order to do that. And the one thing about Coach K is, you know, they kind of waved the white flag and they played zone last year. What's your sense of 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 what you think we'll see from Zion Williamson when he plays for Duke next season? Well, I think we're going to see the electric athlete. Uh, I think we're going to see a guy that actually has a, a pretty good feel feel for the game and can really pass. Um, I think when motivated, he's a really good rebounder. I think one of the things that, that caused me to uh, take a step back from last year was he didn't always play hard. And uh, he was rarely ever in great shape. Uh, I think the thing that we're going to see from him at Duke is, one, they're going to get him in shape. Yep. Uh, and, and, two, I'm curious to see what kind of effort he gives forth on the court. You know, he was known for those dunks um, and the, the highlights in transition. Uh, there's some other stuff there in terms of his passing. I, I think he, he does that at a pretty uh, at a pretty good level, but he's going to have to improve his jump shot. And uh, last viewing in high school, it was a ways away. Evan Daniels, check out his podcast called The Sidelines uh, with Evan Daniels, Fox Sports, foxsports.com. Of course, it's a great way to pick up. Or just follow him on Twitter. He's got all the information. Get back in the gym. Get back covering those games, plus Team USA. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Doug. I appreciate it, man. All right, let, let's continue that conversation about prep hoops and kind of the LeBron takeover. I think it's going to be fascinating. A guy who, for more than 30 years, has covered Southern California, AAU basketball. He knows the college scene. Frankly, he knows the NBA scene. Just really knows, has a great feel for the game. Uh, you go to prephoops.com or follow him on Twitter, at Joel Fran Hoops. Joel Francisco joins us here on the All Ball Podcast. Uh, look, I, I, you're the perfect guy for this because we've seen, we've seen the Ball family but we've seen, and maybe that was kind of the first of its kind, we've seen other big AAU teams. You go back to, you know, before me even when uh, Rich Goldberg would have his teams, the, the Mid-Valley ARC, and they'd fly guys in. And, you know, Jason Kidd would suddenly be playing with Southern California players and the, the Tracy McGrady, Derek Martin days. And then Izzy Washington had, had his slam and jam teams. But LeBron James coming to Southern California with two teenage boys, it feels like that's going to forever change the dynamic of AAU basketball? Am I overselling it? No, uh, I, completely, I completely agree. I believe that um, we got a taste of it with the Ball family. You know, uh, we, I had never in the 30 years of covering this from when I started doing with Tracy Murray and the following that he had all the way through, you know, these last 30 years. And I had never seen anything like the Ball situation, you know, going to gyms. It was a circus. And then what happened last night, you know, with LeBron coming in the gym, and I would figure, like, you know, have some hindsight in the fact that, okay, here comes LeBron Jr., we have social media, the gym was packed, and they had it in the small auxiliary gym, and I guess some 
fan came in, started ripping LeBron, and it just turned into like a mini melee, and then they canceled the game. And it's like, what are they going to do in the future here? You know, like if he decides to go to Sierra Canyon, uh, Brentwood High School, you know, I'm really intrigued to see, you know, from a safety standpoint, you know, what is going to happen with Southern California basketball in the it's, future, it's, and it's, AAU for that matter. It's it's fascinating because there's a lot of parts of LeBron which are really interesting. He's done things. He's, he's cleared his own path, most of which I like, some of I don't. You can, you, it's inarguable, though, that in terms of being an involved parent, especially in comparison to, you know, Larry Bird never had a, a young boy in AAU. Michael Jordan had two kids, but he was – we don't remember him ever kind of being around. I called a couple of their high school games, and he was he was never around. Like, he's actually an involved parent. He actually, uh, you know, he knows the other kids' names. He interacts with the team. Occasionally, he helps coach. Like, it is something. And But my thing is that not only do you have that, but then you have the, hey, how are you going to keep a kid on your team if Bronny says, hey, Dad, I want him on my team? They decide they want him. And LeBron James picks up the phone and says, Hey, do you want to play with my son? And oh yeah, by the way, you're gonna get all the LeBron gear you want. Like no one's gonna say no to that, are they? Oh, oh no, I, I would think not. I mean, him coming to LA is gonna completely, you know. I mean, we could see another level of. I mean, we're gonna see something different than the balls here. But yeah, I mean, you know, the way kids transfer nowadays, it's it's ridiculous. You know, like CIF said something like sixteen thousand kids transferred. That was even last year but now with Braun coming in and you know how he manages his own NBA teams yeah you could see him you could see, you could just start creating these you know all-star AAU teams and you know wherever school he, his son ends up at you know where he's going to be pulling kids from everywhere maybe yeah I, I you mentioned all the transfers in the CIF and I know this happens everywhere as a national podcast, I think people are sitting there nodding their heads and saying, yeah, we have lots of problems with kids. Uh, it's kind of on steroids here in Southern California. Uh, do you think the the player movement in the NBA is the cause of the player movement in AAU and high school basketball? Or do you think it's the other way around where kids were always moving around AAU and high school and now they become pros and now so they don't get they don't get as tied to a place or to a team as they used to? Wh- which which is the which is the chicken and which is the egg? Um, I would say the, the latter. I would think since these kids now um, are playing against each other, and they all know each other now since probably, what do you think, 12, 14, yeah. where they're playing in these national-based tournaments, they're becoming friends, and they, they keep these connections going. They're never in college enough to create rivalries. So they just go from this AAU team strictly to the NBA, and they and like you said, LeBron forming his team in Miami, and then and it's just escalated from there. And so I just, I really believe it started with, with club basketball, with AAU basketball, whatever you want to call it, with these guys that have become known, to, you know, they've known each other for so long and they become friends and they develop these friendships. And now you have you add in social media and it's created a perfect storm. What's your sense of what's going to happen? I know that many people in, in your profession and you, I think you tweeted out something which is great, which is like, hey, the, the new rules potentially could still have the tournaments, just the coaches wouldn't be allowed to the tournaments, which would be great for you as a professional evaluator that people respect for more than 30 years. Like, just because Coach K can't sit there and have his assistant's bird dog a kid doesn't mean that you can't evaluate him. Um, what's your – any guess as to what what the rules end up being for the future of the July recruiting period? Um, the, what I can see – somebody mentioned that, let's say – 
the biggest one, the PFAM, was moved to August or something. I said, well, that would be impossible for my take because so many schools now, including in Southern California, are starting school in August. So I could see a lot of these tournaments moving to June while the NCAA has their camps, whatever, in July. And you have, for you know, an evaluator like me, or the best of both worlds, you're going to see all that in June and then in July. And I feel like the number one thing for me that I've had an issue with, um, you know, restricting coaches from coming out, I feel June, for me, is the most important month. I would rather watch a kid play, for me personally, with his high school team, see how he leads, see how he carries his team. You know, I feel like that's a, I think I can get a greater sense of who this kid is rather than seeing, you know, in these multiple club games you see in July. You bring up a great point. You know, my brother, as you know, is recruited uh, at all the different levels, mostly in California and then, of course, Oregon State for the last four years. And I, I don't. I actually think they're working the opposite way of the of the way they should. You should have assistants that are allowed to go out as often as they want, right? Just yes. go out and and if your job is to evaluate and recruit a kid, why are we putting limits on it? I mean, the fact is that I I understand. Like my dad used to tell us stories of of him, you know, sleeping over at a kid's house that they were trying you know, and sitting on a, sitting on a kid that they have. Like, okay, that's a little bit overboard, but it's like limiting texts. It's like when you couldn't text a kid. Like, look, if a kid doesn't yeah. want doesn't want you to text him, he'll just block you or he'll just delete it. If a kid does, if he gets creeped out by a guy, keep coming to his game, he'll just, you'll end up wearing the kid out and he'll, it'll turn him off. I just let us, let recruiting assistants do their job. You want to restrict head coaches so they're on campus more. If you want to make sure that there's always a coach on campus, like that's fine. But this idea that somehow you're protecting assistant coaches. All right. Maybe August is dark. Nobody can see anybody in August. But outside of that, isn't it fair to say, like, hey, just let them recruit, don't pay your players, don't change their grades, and kind of the rest, uh, just almost a free market sort of recruiting system? Yeah, and I, I agree with that, too. And the fact that we, uh, I believe that we implement some system like that will cut back on the multiple, you know, the ridiculous numbers we're seeing in kids that are going to schools, they're being over-recruited, and they end up bouncing back various other schools, you know, to a lower level because in hindsight, these coaches don't have a great feel, you know, for who they're recruiting. I mean, they get such a limited time. Yep. There's a million games going on in July. Joel, Joel, am I crazy? But I've always thought, you know, we talk about transfers and the reason that players transfer. We always believe it's because the kid wants more, the parent wants more, and and that's some of it. But but a good portion of it is the, the coach doesn't exactly know what he's getting. And the player doesn't exactly have a great feel of what he's getting into because they're because we're limiting the the relationship and the length and the quality of the relationship between who's recruiting and who's being recruited. Is that is that a fair? Like I know oh, there's yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. And the thing is, when I talk to, to kids at camps, I say, "Hey, you." I think what they missed the point on, and I think parents do too. You get caught up in the highest level, and it's like you need to find the best fit for your kid. That's the bottom line. And here's a kid that's getting recruited, let's say, at LMU, Pepperdine, or whatever, and then he goes off in one game and Washington jumps in the picture. Well, I'm going to go to Washington now. You know, instead of saying, no, wait, the Pepperdine system fits me better. It's, you know, it's just that's the kind of situation they get fallen into. All right. Uh, you, you've seen a lot of kids for a lot of years. Give me the most, the kid you've seen this, uh, this spring and summer that's most impressive to you. 
Most impressive player? Um, I, I'd probably have to go out west. Um, here's a guy that it's Evan Mobley, his uh, older brother, Isaiah Mobley, going to USC. That uh, USC hired the dad recently in the spring. Uh, Evan Mobley, for me, um, he's a 2020 kid. He's a, basically a combination. I'm not saying he's the next Durant or Garnett type, but he's kind of a combination of the two in terms of he's got perimeter skills. He's got – I saw Kevin Garnett in high school. He's as quick off the floor. He's got an uh, in-between game. He's got he's got the whole package. It's just going to be a matter of strength in terms of him going forward. But I, I would be stunned if he's not a certified uh, NBA player down the road. Two or three years ago, Cassius Stanley was that young player coming up into high school basketball that everyone was talking about. He's still very, very well regarded, but, but, but not nearly at the level that he was previously. You know, he's top – 20 to top 30, maybe top 40 nationally. Uh, what, what type of impact do you think Cash Stanley, who is at Sierra Canyon, which one of the schools, the big private schools in Southern California, he was originally at Harvard Westlake, anyway, that we were talking about earlier for people who were out of the area. What, type, what happened to Cash Stanley, and what type of impact do you think he'll have when he ultimately plays in college? Well, I mean, for me, Cash Stanley is going to have to, um, I think. In, when you see him in a club situation, in a wide-open game, he's an NBA athlete. There's no question about that. But for me, you know, for someone that's been doing a long time, and I'm sure you would get the same feel for him if you watched him actually in a game, he has improved, but there's not something he could totally depend on in a game when it slows down. His jump shot is still needs to get more consistent. His decision-making, you know, uh, every pigeonhole needs to be a point guard because everybody needs to be a point guard now. And... I'm sorry, you played the position. It takes a certain feel for the game to be that to play that player. And so I think now if, he, if someone just allow him to be a two-guard and work on that skill set, then I think he could be a very good college player and uh, probably a pro. But right now, for me, he's got some areas he really needs to grow in. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see if he does grow because it was, it was a little bit too much uh, too soon. There is a big guy in Southern California I would – I would love to have your opinion on a kid named Carl Lewis at Linwood High School, 6'9", 250. He's put up some big numbers this year. Uh, but, you know, like, look, we're in the age of the big man that doesn't score at the low block. We're in the age of you got to be a, a roller and a finisher at the rim and a rim protector or a stretch five. What's the prospects like for a kid like Carl Lewis who's a rising junior? Um, well, you know, Carl Lewis, he has some, some stuff uh, – off the court that needs to be taken care of. Um, he's He's got a long ways to go in terms of becoming a basketball player. Oh, yes. He, he's built like Carl Malone. And, but in terms of, you know, his skill, fundamentals, um, he hasn't spent a lot of time. You know, uh, he's got a lot of other stuff going on, to put it bluntly and um, put it mildly, in fact, that I don't think he's really had a lot of time to work on those aspects of the game. So, for me, nationally rated, he's one of these guys that, you know, played at Linwood High School, didn't play against, you know, the greatest competition in terms of, so there was no one that could handle him. But So there's certain areas in his game that he really needs uh, to take care of, as well as some other aspects of his life that come together before he's able to play college, in my opinion. That's great. Uh, great feedback from Joel Francisco. He's been doing this over 30 years. He's a great job in Southern California. You follow him on Twitter. Uh, you go to prep hoops. You go to prephoops.com. Uh, last thing, I want to ask you about Kawhi Leonard because 
He look, he was Gatorade Player of the Year, but he played at MLK and out in Riverside. He was a six five, six six postman who's become, you know, a top five by many people's accounts, third best player in the NBA. And because he's super, super quiet, we don't know what to make of him. What's what's your assessment as a guy who saw him at his at his infancy as a player grow into a star at San Diego State, a superstar in the NBA, and now trying to we think manipulate his way back to Los Angeles? What's your assessment of kind of the situation, how he's handled it, and what the ultimate end game is? Um, you know, watching uh, Kawhi in high school, you know. He- I, to be honest with you, I never thought he'd reach the level that he's at right now. I thought he's a, I thought he was a high major recruit, you know, top 50 national prospect for sure because length, he's got the biggest hands. But, you know, some, he's, he's always been a no-nonsense player, no emotion, and just go out there and I'm going to be productive and do my job at both ends of the floor. However, this year, what the stories that I've heard, I've become skeptical, you know, about, okay, where, in fact, and I don't want to, you know, you know, character assassinate this guy, but I, I heard he was able to play, and he chose not to play. And so that, for me, that brings up red flags. What direction? Um, who's handling his situations now? Because this is not the same kid that I talked to in high school and, you know, got to know through uh, the AUC and all that stuff. So I'm kind of curious to see, really intrigued to see how he does in the Toronto this year and really watch his approach to the game And because we all know what he can do on the basketball. I mean, arguably, what, the best, maybe the best two-way player in the game yeah. today. Yeah. So um, I'm very intrigued to see what he goes to uh, this year at Toronto. What about what about DeRozan? Like, I, I do feel like DeRozan somehow, and, and like, he was bad in, in the playoff series against um, against LeBron. The Cavaliers. He, he just, he wasn't good. He was fantastic in their in their first round series. Fantastic. Uh, I saw him at the Garden, this is two years ago, dropped 39 at the Garden. I was like, damn, DeMar DeRozan. It is a but he is the closest. He's got a Kobe style of offensive game. Yep. Um, it's just you know now there's so much the three point shot is so much more important. How do you think his personality will mesh with Greg Popovich? Well, it's going to be. Um, I'm to be honest with you. I'm excited for him. You know, um, being in that system because I mean, Demar's another kid, kind of like in, in a way Kawhi, where um, he's quiet. Not you know he's not real that assertive personality out there, but he just goes about his business, takes care of it. So I'm really intrigued to see how he fits in the pop system. Um, I think he's going to become, you know, continue to be his efficient self. But like you said, the key to his game is, which it really has become, is his three-point shot. Yep. And he's been very good in the mid-range area, but he, like you said, it's the mid-range shot is as usable as it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So I'm really intrigued to see how he fits in the pop system. I think he's going to be fine because I think he's a good kid. And I think he wants to, you know, wants to be taught. And I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be turned out to be a good situation for him. I do too. It's weird though that Lamarcus Aldrich is a mid post in the low post kind of turnaround jump shot score, and then you got Demar yeah. Rosen who's great in the mid range. Like that goes counter to everything in 2018 that the Spurs I were know. kind of ahead of the curve on. But that's what they're going to have to live with. So it'd be it'd be fascinating to see. And then you know, it's 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 interesting, you know, think about Tracy Murray and and the volume of threes he shot when you first started in this business and what he would be now, how valuable a weapon now. He would have to guard better than he did then now in order to, yeah. to stay on the floor. But it is, it's amazing how 20, even when I came up in the mid-'90s, we used to criticize big guys, stop shooting jump shots and get inside and score at the low block, right? 
and every yeah, and, and we did, and and point guards were told you know, stop don't you pull up threes get into that mid-range pull-up game and now of course that's disappeared because of analytics and the realization that it's smarter to play the other way it's got to be faster yeah. for you to have to evaluate guys in the in the ever-evolving game of basketball oh yeah i mean uh it was really interesting you know you know Trigonis, uh, you know who he is uh, in terms of running all these camps. He's one of the AU gurus out for the last 30 years. He had a Pangos All-American camp and in June, and there was a plethora of guys in the 6'8", 6'9", range, and these guys were pulling up and, and jacking threes, and their shot looks good. It's almost like, you know, with LeBron, I saw LeBron in uh, freshman sophomore in high school, and you just knew he was different. He was yeah. kind of a little bit of magic, a little bit of Michael, a little, you know, built like Carl. Well, he wasn't built like Carl Malone until now, but right. then you watch Kevin Durant. I see these, these, these kids are seeing these types of stars, and they're implementing those, schools early, uh, those skills early on in their game, and now we're just seeing this game trans, transform into this, you know, 3 and D. But, you know, something I'm old school. Um, I like the point guard. He still passes and facilitates like you did in high school. And I'm still I'm still the big guy. Get, get your button post. You know, be a rim protector. You know, fill the lane. And I, I'm still a fan of the mid-range game. I think that's key for me. That's going to be key for Lonzo. You know, Lonzo struggled in the paint area. And if he can just implement that and get that going and get stronger, his game's going to go to a different level. And I think that'll just bring out his shots better too in, in a more consistent manner so i mean i think the mid-range game and i still think guys could still play in the back you know with the basket the basket come too i don't know I'm, maybe i'm too old school no, but no i, I don't, I, don't, I, don't I, I honestly don't think you're wrong i mean look at look at the nba finals look at or look at look at the golden state warriors like look do they shoot a ton of threes absolutely but when they needed a bucket they got the ball to kevin durant either in the post or a lot of pull-up yeah. mid-range jump shots you know, like if 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 the best of the best can make seventy percent of those, then you still take it. And and I do think yeah, that I, mean, I think look that what LeBron's th- done or what he's had to do. You know, he's yeah. been more effective when he's had his back to the basket and he can pass. You know, that's where you think about the Olympic team. That's where Kuzevsky uh, put LeBron at the high post yeah. and he facilitated. Yeah. You know, using his passing acumen. So, I mean, I I, I know I was still in all areas of the game today still. Well, look, I'm I'm fascinated. I mean, basketball. It's not that basketball has lacked energy in the West Coast, but with the Lakers potentially being good, um, and with you know LeBron and his son bringing attention to AU basketball, there's been a ton of talent here. Obviously, with the the private schools out there recruiting, I think now it'll be hyped up and it'll be great for your job. It'll be great for us as well. Joel Francisco, follow him on Twitter at Joel Fran Hoops. Go to prephoops.com. He's been a basketball scout for over 30 years. He's the SoCal uh, scouting coordinator for ESPN. He does an amazing job. Joel, thanks so much for joining us here on the All Ball Podcast. Appreciate it, Doug. Appreciate it a lot. Have a good one. There's just kind of a sense of of that's what July is about. I, I mentioned Kawhi earlier. He's not participating. He's not playing. And he's saying, well, I need to transition to Toronto. And I just... Look, I think Toronto did well in the trade. I do. I mean, if you substitute out DeMar DeRozan, who I like more than other people like, but you put Kawhi Leonard in there, and they got a legit shot. Make one last push in the East. If not, scrap it, start again. Um, But what's, you know, Greg Popovich has done nothing but take the high road. It's not like they're going to grind you into the ground when you're playing in Vegas. You haven't played all year. I kind of feel like he needs that. Um, but Kawhi Leonard is he's beating to his own drum, and for a guy who has earned, not been given, earned so much respect 
in NBA circles for playing both ends, uh, steadily improving his jump shot, which was he was not a guard. He was a center coming up, and the big questions were, um, could he ever, you know, be a decent three-point shooter? And he's become a very good and a good ball handler. He's just he's undone some of the great things, some of the some of the respect that he's gained. It's easy to get. It's not hard to gain it back. You get on the floor, you start playing for for Toronto. You play the right way, even if you want to make your way to the Lakers next year. But I just why I I'm okay with guys not playing for Pop who played the whole year, you know, and or played for USA Basketball in the past. But when you're one of the best players in the game, you only played nine games this year, and you should be fully healthy. You pass a physical, go and play. Go and play. Be the try and take the high road the way Greg Popovich has taken the high road. I don't think that's a great look. Um, last thing in regards to the NBA, you saw this with Carmelo Anthony, who said, you know, basically it was a bad fit in Oklahoma City because he didn't have enough time. All he had was training camp in the season. Like, what more do you need more than training camp in the season? <laughs> How much more time? Like, is there some boardroom? Yeah, was there hoodie mellow workouts that could have that you could have transitioned better to Oklahoma City? I'm I respect Carmelo Anthony because he was the best three level scorer in the NBA for a good seven or eight years. He was an amazing offensive player, but he didn't keep himself consistently good enough shape. He wasn't a good teammate. And more than anything, you know, as you mature, as you get to be an adult, I've said this, there's three things that adults do that kids don't do. Adults will never turn down a nap. Right? Adults will order vegetables. And adults point in when something goes wrong. They say, my bad. I made a mistake. Carmelo Anthony has never said, you know, look, that didn't work in Oklahoma City, and it's my fault. I didn't buy in defensively. I struggled to buy in offensively. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't willing to come off the bench. Th- that's my bad. Even if even if it, it wasn't all his fault, taking more blame than you should is the smarter path and the more mature path. But we've created – he's becoming like an Allen Iverson where his, his NBA career may be over – sooner than it should because of his inability to find a Carmelo Anthony 2.0. And then as far as the Kevin Durant tweets with CJ McCollum, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, Kevin Durant has, uh, he, he was quoted earlier today as saying, let me pull up this quote, kind of a fascinating quote from, from Kevin Durant. He, he said, here's the quote uh, to Anthony Slater. I know you think I'm sensitive, but I'm just somebody who's tired of holding shit in. So apparently Kevin Durant, he's mad as hell and he's not taking it anymore. And now when people talk trash to him, he's just going to let it, let it, which is great. Like we want dudes with no filter. Uh, the, the problem is a lot of the things he's saying are going counter to either one things he's done in the past and to the way he's handled himself. Like he did have a, bur- he did have burner accounts, in which he defended himself in the past. He he did he was the guy who said, Oh, everybody wants to go to the Knicks and the Lakers. He didn't agree with that in the past. And now he goes to the Warriors. And it's it's really interesting. Some guys, the social media thing, people don't react to your tweets the way that you think when you press send. You may think you're joking. You may even do hashtag sarcasm and it doesn't I'm as guilty of that as anybody. But the Kevin Durant thing is fascinating. He's kind of finding his way as he goes. Meanwhile, he's a two-time NBA Finals MVP who's fighting with other NBA players or just random dudes on Twitter. Is one of the most NBA 2018 things I've ever heard of. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. All right, we'll talk more NBA. We'll wrap up uh, the July recruiting period. Also talk some USA basketball next week on the All Ball Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you tell your friends, download, subscribe, download, and rate it. 
I'm Doug Gottlieb. Listen to the radio show daily, 12 to 3 Pacific Time, 3 to 6 Eastern Time. This is All About. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.